Like, how do you navigate a change that happens to you as opposed to a facilitated change or being on a journey with someone who has facilitated their own change and how that spills over into you? Hey, Nia, you want to do the welcome back line? Oh, my God. You seem to be energetic. No, sorry. Never mind. I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the intro right there. (laughs) Well, welcome back, friends. Uh, Nia just let out a loud celebration to be in back to recording this episode. So this episode (laughs) is brought to you by Nia McKenney's Energy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're here for it. Let's get it. Nia, I just want to say... Yes. You've changed. (gasps) (laughs) See, she'll catch it. (laughs) That's the title of this episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've changed and the growth of leaders and communities. This is a common line (laughs) that is thrown out when relationships are strained. Totally heard it. <laughs> the the thing is, though, is that line you've changed really a bad thing at all. Um, I once heard someone say that a solid response to that would be, thank you. I hope that wouldn't stay the same forever. I love that. <laughs> you know? So what do you, what do you make of the phrase? Uh, even more, why do you think it is thrown at people almost like a weaponized phrase in the midst of change? Isn't it interesting that people are really... Um comfortable with claiming being lifelong learners but then they might throw this idea out at someone because sort of like that whole piece about learning results in change so yeah of course if we're going to learn keep learning stuff then we're going to change mm-hmm. growth is change yeah i mean i think as per lots of things that we talk about all about context right and tone yeah. so when you say oh oh you've changed there's a different connotation than oh you've changed yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all different. And um, it has to go back, I think, to the original relationship of the people right. who that is happening between and the context in which it's being said. I love maybe like a wonder if you could rephrase it as like my understanding of who you are has changed or like maybe not that exactly. But like the way I understand how you operate in the world needs to change. Needs to change or has changed? I don't know. That's I haven't perfected it yet as an idea. But like so much wow. of what, what we're talking about is about expectations and about un implicit contracts mm-hmm. that we make with people. I think it's also about whether this this post change person is still in alignment Mm -hmm. with our relationship Mm -hmm. or the values that we share. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe part of the the weaponization that often is connotated with the phrase like you've changed is, is in avoidance of asking questions. Why have you changed? Um, Mm -hmm. am, Am I part of your change? Do can I be part of your change? Like, what will what will you changing do to me? Because we we ultimately are operating, um, often operate from the center of ourselves, mm. and so you say saying a statement of you have changed 
is is a great way to avoid engaging in any curiosity. Mm-hmm. I I get this um, a lot actually because I used to be so much more silent than I am now, <laughs> like truly not saying anything ever. And when I began to do so, particularly in perhaps response or opposition to others, I got that. I got this often of like, we used to be able to get you to do anything or we used to be able to to take advantage of you. Um, and now we can't do that. <laughs> wow. That's so true. Like, I mean, there's two things that are going through my mind, which is not a lot, actually, compared to what's normally going through. Um, But, (laughs) like, I think of, one, what you said, Sarah, um, about my understanding of you. One of the things it does is it prevents you from projecting something onto that person. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot, like, especially when I was an adolescent, if this was ever said to me, my first reaction was like, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, it felt like a a dig. Yeah. Like weaponized. Like, yeah. A dig, like an, a, an assault, an affront. Whereas when you say my understanding of you has changed, it's about you. Like, it, like, it's something that you are aware of, which then leads to what you're saying as well, Nia a question that I would even wonder, like, I love this. Like, uh, that's a statement, but we, it it gets rid of curious engagement. What if one of the questions was like, Mm -hmm. either do you believe you have changed or what has led to this change Mm -hmm. or those sorts of questions? Has anybody ever said something like this to anybody on the screen? Yeah. Or like, have you ever said it to somebody? I've definitely said this to one of my children before. Mm -hmm. And, It was because they were changing into someone that was not aligned with our family values. Mm -hmm. And we had to have a really hard conversation say, I am aware and I am observing this change. And it's scary to me. It is not an, uh, this is not how we treat each other as a family. This is not how our family functions. This is not the family that we want to be. And it was in a, I came at it from a place of observation, which I think is, is a semi good place to start, especially with children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with, of curiosity, like what is happening in the life right now that you are making these types of choices that is leading you to be this type of changed person? That is, I liked this person better. I liked this person better. I'm not a fan of this change that's happening. And that definitely, that type of conversation comes with a power dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. It was a parent talking to a child. And so to be so aware of that power dynamic and talking about change and trying to redirect and refocus as opposed to a peer-to-peer I think a lot of people go into that type of peer-to-peer conversation with this type of power dynamic. Like, I know what's best for you. I don't appreciate this change in you. And that is not a healthy power dynamic, in my opinion, between two peers or two friends. Yeah. It activates shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it requires also that you're going to have to 
and this is where the fear from last episode comes in, being afraid of actually having to respond to those changes in that person. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm only, I'm used to you being this way. If you've changed, then now I'm going to have to be different. And that's not happening. And I think what we're naming right here is really important is that in the same way that Learning Forte would never, I would hope we would never sort of say everything should be digital or everything should be remote. Like we really lean into that hybrid and what's the right place. I don't ever want us people to think that we're saying all change is good. Yeah. Because there are times when we have these relationships and these conversations where we need to say, Hey, I'm observing a change that's not helpful or healthy or that it is Mm -hmm. and not healthy and not aligned. And so I think that's a really powerful piece of what I'm like trying to hold in tension here as I think about these things. I think the difference between this and some of the other conversations we've had in this season is that up until this point, I feel like we've been talking about change that happens to us. Like, how do you navigate a change that happens to you Mm. as opposed to a facilitated change Mm. or being on a journey with someone who has facilitated their own change and how that spills over into you? Oh, wow. That's really powerful insight. So when it, when we think about a lot of that, I mean, that's a, that's a really good thing. Like almost like observing a change that's happening, mm-hmm. and then our response to that. What 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 I wonder a little bit though is I'm thinking back to like the question we kind of was at the beginning of this is like the sense of fear that might come or insecurity. If you've seen an organization or if you've seen someone else in leadership or if you've seen someone in your life change and you've been tempted to ask that question, similar to what you were saying, Sarah, like what have been some of your your responses to that or or how have you adjusted your posture even? Well, I mean, if you're part of it, you know, whatever kind of organization, church, a any sort of religious group or a, a school, um, a gym team, anything. And the organization, you know, is no longer aligned with your personal values, or you don't see a place with how you can engage with that. You know, I I do think you have to sort of reevaluate. I've been sort of thinking about how is there like, we've been talking about like people have been talking about ghosting, like that's a word I think this has happened forever, but it seems to be a word that's come up more lately in the last few years. And I'm, I've been sort of wondering since I got these questions for this episode, is there a parallel between like an unwillingness to have a hard conversation about how someone's changed and how that impacts our relationship? And instead we just ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fight or flight. You're going to fight for this relationship and ask questions or pff, that's too hard. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. So like, Greg, I've just been thinking about like, Sometimes the hard part about this is no matter how much you're willing to have the conversation, um, it depends on who you're having it with and whether they're willing to have the conversation. Yeah. And I mean, I I also think about like the healthiest relationships that I have and uh, the best organizations, including this one that I've worked with, have been those who have recognized the you've changed and have actually celebrated <laughs> the changes or have been grateful for having journeyed through 
the hard changes together. Like not saying you've changed, we've changed, and then like said that in the frame of a lament, but it's been the way of like moving through those changes together has affirmed the 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 community component of what they're a part of. Who was the person that you had on the Sandbox podcast um, who talked about how she advocated for when someone joined the church? Jen James. Yes, to to recognize that each time an, an individual person joins a community, that not only is there an expectation for them to engage with that community, but the community's responsibility to acknowledge that that community is now different because they are a part of it. Yes, Powerful. yes. And I thought that was just such a mind-blowing revelation. Shout out to episode two of the strategic imagination sandbox, what we've learned. (laughs) No. So like, that's just, that's like a a really powerful image. I mean, one of the things that we've worked really hard at, at learning forte and sometimes have gotten right. And sometimes haven't is this idea that people will come and be part of this organization for a period of time, but we want to support them when they leave and mark those leavings well. And sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's hard. And, but I'm just really, um, I've never thought about how until just now, how possibly how we say we welcome people in sets a tone for how we can then say goodbye. Yeah. Like how, like would there ever, could you ever imagine Stacy a day where, and there's no right and wrong answer to this question where the personnel on this team has turned over or changed enough to where you would be, you would consider revisiting these values, the guiding values of learning forte. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's the personnel that would turn over enough. That's not the question I thought you were going to ask me, Sarah. Oh, okay. So I'm going to answer both. Yeah. Um, I think that the context and our mission might change enough like what kind of people we're called to serve and what we're doing might change enough that our values would change would change. And I think that that's just a, a responsive piece. I thought you were going to ask me if I could imagine not being here and not being the head of this organization. That's what I thought you were going to ask me in that big change. And um, yeah, there's an exit plan. Mm. There's a documented exit plan for me because um, I want this organization and I believe in this work enough to believe that, I want it to last beyond me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As the person who has been on this team the longest that is not the CEO, I can definitely tell you that we have had clients who worked with us early, early on and now have reached out that have said, you've changed. Right. That is definitely an undertone. Oh. Absolutely. Because we're clearer now. Right. We have, have our values more clarity about those we have we are offering a wider range of things but we're very clear about what our lane is we have processes in place now we are like a big girl company now when before not 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 <laughs> just not not we yeah. were not a big girl company just not yeah i mean we really did whatever work people were sort of paying us to do as long as it was within even close to our realm of expertise and so, right. um, yeah, they've, there's much more of a filter now. 
Yeah, it was an experiment. And there is definite, I mean, there is definite, I've gotten emails that have had the tone of, oh, well, you've changed. Mm. Like, we have. And mm. we're very proud of that. We have worked really hard to evolve and change. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, what you're, what you all are pointing out to is, um, there's really two, components to the this like you've changed question is like the individual side and the organizational side so i'm going to ask these two questions together now instead of separate and just choose your own adventure (laughs) what has been like an individual change that you have recognized in yourself of late that has been like this mark of change like and how did you get there like what led to that change and I would even say the, the same question for like an organization, whether it's this one or others, like where have you seen organizational change happen over the years and what led to that change? I really thought for the first, you know, 15, 17 years of my ordained life that I needed to find the right leader to be the number two, two. I love to build programs. I love to create processes. I love to work with volunteers and create structures. And so I kept thinking, I got to find the right visionary leader and I'm going to be the person who comes in and helps build the program that that per, you know, like build the program underneath that vision. And so a big significant change for me um, is that stepping out and being like, oh no, I'm going to build an organization and lead an organization that does those things. And I'm going to let go of some of that hands-on building of the programs. Um, That's a really significant change. I never imagined that I would be creating a place where I was the leader setting that vision in the way that Learning Forte has called me to do. Um, One of the things that I have tried to do, or, well, even as we've said it, just identifying it is, is, um, is useful. When trying to navigate change, particularly on the lens of like change that is affected onto me, um, I struggle with ambiguity because as also a six, if I can't think of all of the options, then I'm going to explode or something. Um, and I have kind of come to this understanding that works for me so far, which is that like seeking a boundary amidst change can be helpful because if you, if I can contextualize, okay, well, I can tell that this has changed and I need to have a response to it. If I can find where the boundary is, you know, say, say something concrete, like no meetings on this day or something like that. If I can figure out where some type of action new action resides in relationship to that boundary, then I can act on it. Mm-hmm. And the same from, from, you know, from a personal lens to others. If, you know, if change is meet, is met at a different place to a boundary than it was before, then that is where for me, I can finally see into like assessment of it. Mm-hmm. So I have another year word for you guys. In 2022, my phrase or my word was expert. 
and I, the whole team knows this because they helped Mm -hmm. me do it, is that in 2022, I wanted to claim myself as an expert. And one of the, the little tweaks I made to make, to change into an expert, to change into that claiming of the expert is to get rid of the word just. I am not just this. I am not, oh, I'm just this. I'm just a church lady. That's, that's not helpful. That does not serve me. Right. And so I spent a whole year, everything that I did professionally in my family, not everything, let's be real, but like <laughs> a lot of things through this lens of learning how to identify myself and knowing in my core that I was an expert. And that has been a major shift. And uh, one of my best church lady friends has said, you know, I have really noticed a change in you. And she said it with a positive tone. She said it with a positive tone. Yes, she did. (laughs) I still take out just in my writing constantly because you said that to us one time, Hannah. (laughs) Ah. This is the other thing. I am not a writer I, the team knows this. I am not, that is not something I claim expertise in. And so when I try to make a shift, I focus on the redaction of words sometimes. And that helps me a lot. Like should, <laughs> just. <laughs> so I'm like, yay, yay, Nia. <laughs> a hard component to this. I'm thinking back in my vocational life when I was, um, newly married, I was working at a particular type of church that will go nameless. And I remember I was in the midst of significant theological uh, and ethical changes and my own convictions Um, that that congregation still is not even close to being okay with. Um, I had changed a lot and I was damn proud of those changes. <laughs> and they also enhanced a lot of the relationships that I had with people outside of the church. I mean, I could go on about what those convictions are and you could probably even guess. Um, and the church told me full stop that I had changed and I had a decision to make because I knew that that change, the church wasn't going to change with me. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. And so I'll, a, a year into our marriage, not even a year into our marriage, I ended up uh, leaving that church. And if you were to see me, you would see it in quotes um, because of those changes. Uh, still one of my most um, grateful changes I've made. Um, but uh, one of the things um, that I'm wondering is what do we do when our changes like that in our own personal leadership convictions, values, you name it. Um, the organization is the one that says you've changed. What do we do? Greg, this makes me think about the work that you've helped me do. And we've put out in some of our values, practice alignment model and through the sandbox, which is just like this idea about making sure that as a leader, you're clear about where your values are and where your organization's values are, and not just assuming that they overlap or are meshed. And um, when Hannah and Nia were talking, and, were, and particularly Nia was talking about boundaries, I was reminded of a quote from Brene Brown out of Atlas of the Heart, in which she says, boundaries are a prerequisite for compassion and empathy. We can't connect with someone unless we're clear about where we end and they begin. 
If there's no autonomy between people, then there's no compassion or empathy, just enmeshment. And I would expand that to say the same thing happens between leaders and organizations. That if as a leader, we're not clear and leaders, we're not clear about where we end and our organizations begin, then all we're doing is enmeshment and we can't, we can't engage compassionately as leaders, but our organizations also can't engage um, compassionately in the world. Yeah, we just become automatons. That's right. And to bring that to change, if you are, if your values are so enmeshed and begobbled all with leaders and the organization, if one of them starts to change, then you either force the other one to change because they're the same thing, even if one, they're not ready, two, it's not a good move, three, it, you know, ostracize all of your work and whatever. But there's a definite, that's where we get into a lot of trouble when an organization changes and a leader is not ready to change and holds it back because there is no separation and autonomy or that the leader is ready to make a change and the organization is not. And for me, there's such a different answer to this in a leader and organization conversation than in a personal relationship conversation. Um, But yet in both a professional environment and a um, personal environment, it comes back to the stuff we've talked about in these earlier episodes for me. It's like, how do you, how aware are you of, of what your response is to the fear associated with change? And can you have some perspective and reflection on your own response and other people's response and invite that reflection into that conversation? So you choose how to respond instead of just responding, you know, out of your gut, but also like really thinking about when you invite the, the reflection piece, right, about how you've changed so that there is a conversation. Because if we never name the conversation, we never name what we're afraid of, then we can't ever get in the right amount of relationship with boundaries, with whether our personal relationships or our organizational ones. The other piece of this, which we have not named is when you journey alongside someone, whether it is a group of leaders or a personal relationship, and they say, oh, you've changed. And you're like, have I? I didn't know. Maybe I maybe I have. And having that compassionate honesty piece to help you with your self-reflection, right? Just like I did with my son, to have a trusted voice say, you've changed. Mm, I didn't mean to. Did I slit? Like, have I, have I, have I scooted to one side or the other or done something, no. you know, and to have that really trusted group, whether it is in within an organization or in a personal relationship is also a really prominent piece. I have this idea sort of bubbling up from a couple of Greg's questions that he's posed, which are, have pushed me to think really hard about like, how much is shared reflection necessary to avoid absolute resistance to people's change. Like if I don't share any of my reflection, if I don't let people know what I'm thinking about and reflecting about and learning and how I'm changing, then do I, am I setting up resistance as the easiest response? I'm like now running back through all these examples in my head because I don't know this. It's right off the top of my head, but I wonder about it. And the other part of it is 
who you share that with are the people that you want collaboration on. But then there are definitely other other individuals where Hmm. you're like, this is the change I've decided to make. Right. (laughs) I've been in conversation with maybe some trusted people. This is my decision. You're either in alignment with it or you're not. And that's when we have the conversation. So I think it's also about level of, I don't know. I think you're onto something, both of you. Like, again, this is the second season in a row where there's going to be a gardening reference. Um, (laughs) But I think we're talking about at what point in the change do we invite people into that journey? And what happens is, is if someone says you've changed, I think of the experiences that I've had with that statement said to me, it was said to me like when I was in college and I would come back after a semester, a semester of learning and like people were not with me in those learnings. So who they saw me when I went to school versus who they saw me at Christmas time was very different. Uh, right. They weren't with me in the incremental change. And it was even worse for people that didn't see me until the summer or after the four years of graduation, which is really unique. And so I'm thinking of the gardening reference. It's the same thing. You look at a seed. If the only thing you see is the seed and then the tomato plant, <laughs> that change it feels, or, the tomato. or the tomato, that feels really abrupt and abrasive which can then lead to that you've changed. But if you are gardening along the way, it doesn't feel the same. Or if somebody is in those classes in college with you, or is someone who has been a part of your your organizational team and stays to what you're saying, I think is very profound. If you invite folks into particular places of the reflection process or to sharing on your musings or or the goals that you have forecasted or where you want to get to by Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, if you bring people along incrementally, then the change may not feel as abrasive. And then yeah. they might not resist it. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. I think that's a huge aha. And I think it's, I think for me, one of the biggest ahas out of this is that sharing reflection happens at different levels at different people. Like there are some people we share a reflection with because we need them to help us make meaning of it. There are others we share a reflection with because what we've realized needs to change about ourselves will impact them. And there are, And so we need to give them the option to change or to respond and make their own decisions about what they're going to do. There are others that we share this with because we're trying to be authentic, but it doesn't really impact them directly. Oh yeah, um, you're absolutely right, Stacy. To continue to play with that metaphor, like there, are the some of the, there's some people that I should not have brought into those college courses with me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? right. Or they certainly should not be in my garden. Right. Like <laughs> this has been a hard learning that we've had as an organization over the last year as we've brought membership vision into our ecosystem and become a much more complex organization. We've had to lay some layers of. Um, like who's doing what um, into our organization. And it's been a hard piece because we also were really committed to, to not recreating hierarchical organizations that have been unhealthy. And so we've tried and we're still figuring out how to do that. But there are definitely some times in which who I reflect with at different places and different levels, even within Learning Forte and especially beyond Learning Forte. 
And it comes back to discernment of who are the best people to bring in at what point. I think discernment is might be my word for 2024. I don't know. It's really starting to... Wow. I don't know. Every Everything we've thought about here is really like, yes, and you need to be an intentionally thoughtful about who you bring in at what point of this change. So I'm wondering if uh, if we could kind of hit this question a little bit is um, where have you seen effective organizational change happen over the last several years and what kind of led this to be so? So I um, in preparation for all of these podcasts on change, I went back and did some reading about something that sort of had stuck in my head, but um, I couldn't like pull it out and. And it was this idea that the pandemic didn't introduce all of these changes. The pandemic just accelerated changes in our society that were already present. And so, like, there's some interesting writing by the World Monetary Fund about how the economic shifts that have happened were already present and happening. They just got accelerated. There are some other interesting um, writing out, out of the Washington Post and others. I went back to find, like, where would I have read that? And I think that the most effective organizational changes I've seen are organizations that didn't blame the pandemic, but recognized that it shifted or accelerated something that was already present. Or exposed, exposed to. Or exposed something. That's another way of talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, and, and so I think that that's a big piece is like, how do we, um, how do we make meaning of what happened during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. So affected, like healthy organizations I've seen have been willing to talk about that context and acknowledge its uniqueness, but also not blame it for things that we had just had the privilege of ignoring before that, or some of us had had the privilege of ignoring, not all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel as though I feel wishful in answering this question, the times in which I have seen organizational change really affect things beautifully, positively, um, is when we have taken the reminder that these are people. Every person is a person who has stuff to do who has others to care for, who has food to eat. Like no person exists in this vacuum of productivity. And when that is remembered and given the space that it needs, mm. then there there becomes so this space for clarity within that of like, I can at the very least understand that you're probably hungry right now. That may make you a little hangry in this meeting. You know, like whatever it is. Yes, hangry. <laughs> it's my nine-year-old. <laughs> I just like, yeah, that's a, that's an empathetic, yeah, response. Yes. I loved how you framed that, Nia, like um, about like naming it, but then also being like wishful too. Um. 
I was really hopeful in the midst of the pandemic that the way people treated their teams was going to last. Like it was a, it was a change like forever. Uh, I think we do it really well at Learning Forte. So this is not, to be honest, is not at all a a statement on Learning Forte. Uh, We always have room for improvement though. That's so to be clear, but I was really hopeful in the midst of the pandemic that people were going to really value their employees and their patterns of work-life balance. And I think they did in the midst of the pandemic. And I was like, oh, this is great. But it was the change didn't last. And um, and that's the thing that I've struggled with. I've seen some really beautiful examples of organizational change, but then I've seen that change not last. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point of kind of what, Stacy and Nia, you both just named was like um, when when organizations forget that organizations are dependent on human people, mm-hmm. then the empathy is lost. And this week at Learning Forte, there have been so many things, tasks, projects for me to work on. Right, twice within the last. Six days, Stacy has checked in with me personally to say, I acknowledge this is a huge time in your life, and I'm here to offer you grace. I know you are an upstanding member of this team, and I trust you. And that has been huge for me as I get ready to like make this monumental shift and move. Sarah, I'm so like humbled and honored that you said that. I have to feel like I have to also come in and say the other part of that conversation was, and here are the things that I I need you to do because I need to leverage your expertise here. So I want to be really clear that it is not as a leader saying you're off the hook and nothing matters. It was me coming to Sarah and saying, I know this and I need you to do this. So we're going to have to prioritize together. And it was realistic. It was not pie in the sky, ignoring contextual realities. Mm -hmm. It was you helped prioritize my work. Yeah. Which is something I've learned as a leader. Like anybody who works with me knows that realistic time estimation and what we're capable of is like not a natural skill of mine. You guys have taught me that. I don't know how to do that on my own. Well, let's look at this last question here, friends. Uh, the the It's not just you've changed that is the title here, but it's, you've changed in the growth of leaders and communities. Um, I was I wrote about this in prep for one of our projects about how my kids have been tracking their growth on their wall uh, with their marks, and uh, and it's become a form of competition <laughs> for each of them. Some of our kids have not changed as much as they would like uh, compared to their twin sibling, but they mark their growth, right? They they measure it and they track it, and that's how they know like if they've made progress. So I'm wondering, um, as we think about change as a mark of growth for leaders and communities, what what are some effective ways that you measure and track growth or those changes, either for you as an individual or communities? So my example of tracking change and growth um, really comes out of my church work as a small, as the rector of a really small congregation. I think it's like asking what are the metrics, if you're going to do numerical data, what format do you do it in? And so some people will have heard me say this before. Um, I think that small churches should report percentages. 
-hmm. because our numbers are always going to look really small. But when you start to look at percentages, it changes the whole narrative. So we average 25 people at church on Sunday. Um, When I look at who has been involved in the working groups that our vestry actively does, we have 16 people, six members of vestry and 10 other people actively involved in doing things that are about the life and ministry and outreach of that congregation. That's an awesome percentage. And I'd put that percentage up against any vital large church. And so um, I think it's like, if you're going to use numbers, what are the narrative the numbers tell? Because all numbers are chosen because they value something. I am really bad at observing and tracking my own growth. And what I realized very recently, like within the last two weeks, because I spent a lot of time with Stacy and Greg, is being in conversation with a trusted person is how I can reflect on that. Because there were a couple things that Stacy said, well, yeah, you do that because of this experience you told me about. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I've done more thinking about that. And so for me, my first little BB step uh, on trying to get better at doing this is to be in conversation with trusted people and really listening to what they have to say. So what is something kitschy you possess that reminds you of the value of growth? So I have printed out sheets that some mom made from Pinterest for a chore chart for my kids of what they have to do to get ready for school and when they get home from school. And uh, they are like legit PDFs. I printed off Pinterest and it's a reminder to me because those change. What they had to do last year is not what was on their list this year because they are continuing to grow and learn into individuals and uh, figure out how they're going to move autonomously into the world. And so that is my kitsch. Mine is another card. And it says, every day holds the possibility of a miracle, but I'm going to substitute the word growth (laughs) at the end. Every day holds the possibility of growth. Uh, my kitsch is the the pages in a planner that are like for, you know, tracking your goals and like meditate and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I really used to not love those, but recently I kind of have. Um, I've been filling out these little mood trackers and like sustainability goals and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'll go. Ne- I'll go next since I'm always the one that goes at the end, but I don't mind going now. Um so I got this nice little medal from his half marathon this year. Um, and the reason why I bring that out is, well, first of all, it's um, I have two of them because the, <laughs> my relative uncle who usually runs with me, <laughs> I, I took his as well, even though he didn't run with me. <laughs> so I got two participation awards. 
If that's not the most Enneagram three number thing I've ever heard, I took two participation awards. And what's funny is that a friend of mine sent me a news article um, like two days after. He says, I really hope you got your medal. Did you know that they actually ran out? Here's an article from the oh, Enquirer. I was like, yeah, I actually got two. So you took someone else's medal. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to go to him but he said i didn't run it so i didn't want it so i was like all right um anyway the reason why i say that is because this medal is because this year was a really difficult year for me health-wise um covid kicked in my asthma after 25 years and um i couldn't even run a mile uh let alone 13.1 six months ago uh, and yet I still committed to this sucker. I was like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. But I, it was one of my slowest times ever, but I still ran it in a way that was beautiful. I didn't stop. I felt really good. I was breathing well and blah, blah, blah. And it was great. And it was a mark of growth, not only because I did it, but it was growth because I didn't care about my time. Uh, somebody asked me, what's your goal for your half marathon? And I was like, 13.1. And they go, no, I mean time. I said, I don't have one. I said, it's just 13.1. And so sometimes navigating changes means you need to go a little bit slower. (laughs) We got some kitsch. We've got some change. We've got some growth. We've got another episode coming your way. So we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Later, Gator. Thanks for listening to Live, Learn, Repeat a podcast hosted by Learning Forte's Stacey Williams-Duncan, Hannah Graham, Greg Klimovitz, Sarah Lawing, and Nia McKenney. Executive production of this podcast is by Greg Klimovitz. Our audio production team is Nia McKenney and Sarah Lawing. Help us grow our podcast learning community by leaving us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and by sharing on your socials. If you'd like to learn more about Learning Forte and our various learning and leadership programs, consulting services, and digital platforms, check out our website at www.learningforte.com.